Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. So just how far down do you want to go? Well, we could talk it out over a cup of joe. And you could look deep into my eyes like I was a supermodel. Uh-huh. In 1996, The Refreshments hit alternative airwaves with Banditos, a song about a bank heist on the Mexican border. However, a rushed second album and drug issues with some members caused them to fade away as quickly as they came in. This week, we're joined by Taylor Morden, who is an absolute authority on The Refreshments considering he made an entire documentary on the band, and we'll determine if The Refreshments fandom is full of stupid people or if this band is actually the king of the hill. Hey Taylor, I'm pretty excited to have you on because you are going to completely guide this episode, man. I'm, I just <laughs> I almost want to hand the hosting duties over to you because we're about to talk about the refreshments and you are uniquely knowledgeable about the refreshments <laughs> and you could I- inform the people listening why you are so uniquely informed about the refreshments. Well, not only were they one of my favorite bands of the 90s and like one of the 
first five compact discs I ever owned, which means it was in heavy rotation. I'm a indie filmmaker, and about five years ago, my first movie was about this band. And uh, I just rewatched a chunk of it for this, and there's like a 15 minute segment that's just about this song. So I've done the research, but it was a while ago. Right. Yeah. So I'll tell you right now that my experience with the fr- refreshments are two things this song. And you know what the other thing is, <laughs> the theme song for King of the Hill. Yes, sir. That's it. That's all I knew. That's all I knew about them. And I will say that I do like both of those things. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Matt? I pushed against us doing the refreshments because I listened to so much alternative radio that to me, I still remember Down Together being a much bigger hit than it actually was. Yeah. So I've always been like, no, they're a two hit wonder, I swear. But no, they weren't. They definitely weren't. But no. Down Together is a really great song. Fun fact, I played down together with a bunch of my friends who were musicians for my wife at our wedding. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's the most romantic song I could think of. <laughs> you are seriously deep in the refreshments. I, I mean, I like it because I want to know to me, you know, preparing for this episode, that's honestly the first time I ever dug into the refreshments right off the bat. I saw that they're from Tempe. Mm-hmm. and that they came up playing shows with one of my all-time favorite bands, the Jim Blossoms. Yeah, I thought that was cool. When I dug into their music, I definitely liked when they would, like in that song Mexico, when they would oh, incorporate yeah. like, you know, so much instrumentation that brought that song to life. And uh, what I heard in the band was... And there's a lot of bands that fit into this category for me. One being Bowling for Soup, one being Fountains of Wayne, is a band where the lyrics are very prevalent. Yeah. There's no question what the songs are about. <laughs> they, they don't leave <laughs> a lot to the imagination. It's kind of like there's this story to this song, and it's very clear. And I don't know what you would necessarily call this style there may be a, a little more or less pop punk influence than bowling for soup but really really in that wheelhouse man in that fun feel good music wheelhouse uh, but uh, i'm sure you could speak a little more deeper to that yeah well banditos in particular is that kind of pop punk fast driving guitar driven pop rock you know i kind of think of it i was listening to the whole album this morning and if they came out today, I think they would be on country radio and not on rock radio because they yeah. got just the tiniest bit of that twang. You know, they're mm-hmm. from the Southwest. They wear the cowboy hats. And I think wearing a cowboy hat is all it takes these days to get on country radio. <laughs> yeah. And I hear that. I heard that twang, too, which, to be honest, the twang would have maybe turned me off of this band at the time. But now I can appreciate it more for just like that's their style man and i think the part of my problem with that is that dude i i'm from pittsburgh pennsylvania and as far as like the local rock music scene when i was growing up and i'm not talking about like the punk music scene i'm talking about like what you heard on like the local rock radio stations there were so many bands that had that little bit of like inexplicable twang in the vocals i want there it's like you're from Pittsburgh. Why do you have that twang in your vocal? I, I don't get it. It makes a little more sense being from the southwestern part of the United States to me. But yeah, I definitely hear that. Yeah. And th- like you mentioned, like the lyrics and the storytelling, 
is so like at the forefront of their music. You know, it's like these are stories. And at the time, a lot of songs were just like love songs or like about whatever. And I think if you think about like how many words, how many different words are in a song, you know, it doesn't repeat any like uh, on their album, especially they don't repeat a lot. They tell stories and the whole album is a cohesive story too. You know, you can listen to that record, Fizzy Fuzzy Big and Buzzy that, that came out and it's like you're on a journey with them through the deserts of Mexico and you're robbing banks and you're doing all these things and right. like it almost could be a musical. It's just storytelling and that's, you know, I think that's what drew me to it as a teenager. I was like, I was so visual thinking, like I would listen to that on my disc man and I could see the desert and the big tortoise crawling across and the rattlesnakes and the, the whiskey bottle and the saloon and the prostitutes and everything that they talk about in their music. You're just like, yeah, I can see it. Yeah. This song was very barely on my radar, but apparently Matt <laughs> Kelly had the album and knew the, uh, <laughs> the second biggest song. But uh, Matt, what's your, what's your experience with this band? So my two big memories with this band is that I knew this song because I always knew it as the stupid people song. Like, that's what I would refer to it as, because I love that chorus. But I didn't really like the rest of the song that much. And I remember this was one of those albums that I distinctly remember opening, like, the Columbia House advertisements, and it was, like, just there in, like, the dead center all the time. Yep. And I was like, what is this album? Like, it was, like, always, like, caught my attention. But I didn't get into the band until maybe five or six years ago. As I've talked about, the, the origins of this podcast was that I love going to, like, use CD stores and finding one-hit wonders albums and giving them, like, a solid listen-through. And this was one of those ones where I listened through it and I'm like, yo, this band's amazing. <laughs> like, sometimes you find really great bands doing that and other times you find out that they should have been a one-hit wonder and, and that's why they were. And this was definitely one where, from the research I did, and I haven't seen the documentary yet, but I'm sure it's covered in the documentary too, sounds like they kind of got fucked over by the record label when it came time to really elevate to the next level with this hit. So, yeah, yeah, so Taylor, Taylor, I was going to ask you about that as a guy who has done an entire documentary on this band. <laughs> so I saw that they they had that strong local following in yeah. Arizona. Uh, mm -hmm. But what, what was the path that led them to this pretty big song? So they were one of those local bands that was just blowing up, especially the University of Arizona, I think is right there. So they yeah. were a big like college bar band and they you put in the work, you know, like you've played in local bands, you know what it's like, but like year two, year three, they were getting a lot of attention. And this was back in the record labels heyday of like, you know, if you got a record deal, you got a dump truck full of money and you got to do all those mm -hmm. things. And I think what it was, but they played a, a showcase I think it was at South by Southwest. Yeah, it was. I read on the wiki page. It was at okay. South by Southwest. And they played a showcase, and it was them and the presidents of the United States of America. Ah, nice. Back to back at this, uh, this showcase. And it was from that that they started getting offers. And it was very, very quick. They already had an EP out that had a lot of the same songs. So it was like, you know, this was their first batch of songs from the first few years. And then they got signed, and like within a year, made this record that they had one big hit and then one not as big hit and then they toured the heck out of it and 
made a second record probably too quickly that didn't do anywhere nearly as well. The record labels at the time weren't having that. I'm looking right now at like what what else was going on with like alternative bands at the time. And whoa, like the amount of long lasting hits that were hitting at that same time is they have to be happy that this song even hit when you look at this list. 1979 by Smashing Pumpkins, <laughs> Salvation from the Cranberries, Champagne oh, Supernova by Oasis, It's Oh So Quiet by Bjork, and Where It's At by Beck were all hitting at that same time. Dude, yeah. that's some stiff competition. Yeah. For all intents and purposes here, Banditos is a pretty straightforward, kind of humorous song. I, I see how it could, it could uh, hit that. It really hit that sweet spot of what people were into because these are some pretty inventive, weird songs at that time. And you saying that they played the same showcase as Presidents of the United States of America, like that makes a lot of sense. Even though musically they don't sound the same, it's a very similar vibe of like goofy storytelling mm-hmm. songs. Like that first Presidents of the United States of America record is so awesomely weird because every song is like, They'll have a three-minute song that's about a bug, Mm -hmm. and it's not up for debate on if it's a song about a bug. It is very clearly a song about a bug. Yeah, and that was the thing with Banditos. It was almost a novelty song, you know, that, like you said, the hook, everybody knows that the world is full of stupid people. That's like a punchline to a joke or something. You know, it's it's very hooky and it sticks in your brain. And then it has the Jean-Luc Picard reference that's like, for at the time... People were singing pretty straightforward. Like all those other songs you listed were not nearly as novelty or as tongue in cheek, you know, until the presidents came out or like Bloodhound Gang and stuff like that. It was more serious at that time. I also think that the songs that Chris named, and this is going to be a weird distinction, but I think in 1996, it's an important distinction. All All five songs that you named, I can close my eyes and remember what the music video was for each one of those songs I could not gun to my head I couldn't tell you what the music video for Banditos mm. looked like or was yeah, I yeah like I it just... didn't get a lot of MTV play it was on 120 <laughs> minutes a tiny bit of rotation it was like a buzz clip remember when they did buzz clips hell yeah uh, it was one of those for a little while but I think a big problem with uh, the video in particular but the song in general is it's too long you know it's four yeah. and a half minutes and the video is five it's got like an intro you know, where they do acting and there's a, right. a turtle and they're in the desert and all that. But it's like at that time, the three minute songs were getting most of the rotation. But I don't know why it didn't get more MTV or VH1 airtime. It was it was a funny video. Yeah, I mean, it def- definitely got some. I definitely remember it. I, I don't want to ever shortchange how important 120 minutes was to me as a young person two things 120 minutes and beavis and butthead how important how important those two things were for exposing me to so much great music thank you so much matt pinfield and thank you so much beavis and butthead mike judge for just exposing me to so much great music i think that this song may have been on beavis and butthead too i i I, somehow I had to know this song. Yeah. I, I forget where I heard this, but Mike Judge apparently when he would do those music videos, so he would just sit down, they'd play him the music video, and then he would 
after watching it once, we go, okay, roll, I know what I'm going to do. And he would just riff out those dialogues. Yeah, I don't know for sure if it was, but it, now I, I didn't even say this because of that, but it would make sense that maybe it was on Beavis and Butthead, considering later that the refreshments did the theme song to another <laughs> Mike Judge show. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I just realized that or something. It didn't come up making the documentary, and I feel like they would have mentioned it if they were on Beavis and okay. Butthead. But right. um, they definitely were folks who did the theme song to King of the Hill. And then uh, before we get past the video, it was kind of a fun little fact. Their music video was directed by David Dobkin, who went on to do Clay Pigeons and Wedding Crashers and a bunch of other cool movies. Oh, nice. I I actually would consider them a one and a half hit wonder because that theme song, the amount of of times I've heard that theme song. I mean, dude, if you get a theme song, that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty huge to think about how in perpetuity your song <laughs> exists. And right. That's, that's, that's a great theme song. I mean, that's Chris, think of it this way. We know how many people have listened to One Hit Thunder. So one could argue that One Hit Thunder is among the five most listened to punchline songs <laughs> no, in history. I hope that's not true. <laughs> I hope that's not true. I don't. <laughs> that's funny. So then what, what this band has this hit and then what? They're just another one of those stories of like they're part of an era where record labels are king. And if you don't get the push from the record label, then that's basically the end. Is that what happened here? Kind of. Yeah. They got dropped from their label after the second album didn't sell as well as the first album, which I think happened to 80% of the bands in the nineties that had hits on the radio. But what they did that's interesting is that they also lost their, bass player and their guitar player for different reasons, but they did kind of keep it going. The drummer and the singer songwriter, they had to change the name both for label reasons and because people left, but they shifted into this independent music sort of model. And they were very early in doing that. This was like 99. They were like using the internet. They have like a billboard streaming music thing from the nineties for being one of the first bands to do that. And they're still playing. Nice. They're called Roger Klein and the Peacemakers, and they've put out, I think, eight more albums. And what fascinated me, what actually made me want to do the documentary was um, like six years ago, I was living in D.C., and on a whim, I saw that they were playing in Virginia at the State Theater, and I went down there thinking, oh, maybe they'll play one of their old refreshment songs or something. This will be fun. Like I know it's the same singer, so that'll be cool. And I went and it was so packed with people and they played like half refreshment songs and half new catalog, but the people knew all the words to all the songs, like an obsessive, like you would see it like a less than Jake show. Everybody just going apeshit for every song. I was amazed that me being such a big fan of the band didn't know that this existed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Like they had been right. playing for 20 years under this new name, but because they shifted before social media and before anything, and they weren't on a major label after that, people didn't know about it. But the people who did were these rabid fans. So that was like hooky enough for me to want to make a documentary of like who are these fans. And then I found out they do this festival in Mexico that gets 5,000 people at it every year and they headline. And I'm like, what is going on? So they have this like cult following of, you know, Southwestern people who like to drink tequila and have a good time and go to these shows. But it basically is the refreshments still playing. It's so funny to me how like just seeing a show where a bunch of people know all the words to a song to all of the songs make you feel like because I think back to when I was a kid the first time I heard Dashboard Confessional I wasn't into it I didn't like it I didn't get it but then the Dashboard MTV Unplugged aired <laughs> and like Chris Caraba barely sings during that entire Unplugged because the crowd is doing all of the work and I was like I feel like I'm missing something like that was like yeah. the moment where I'm like okay I'm missing something I need to dive deeper into this catalog it's pretty inspiring to hear about the refreshments and there's tons of examples of this but bands that are able to carve their own path mm-hmm. and don't feel like they have to be subject to the normal music industry way of doing things yeah they had their experience with that and they were able to to keep that going, you know, we'll do a lot of episodes on here about bands that had a, a one hit wonder. And then it's like, I always like to think I've said this many times before that if my band had a hit that we'd be able to parlay that into decades worth of, you know, we build our own studio and then we'd, we'd have the resources to be able to use that to just keep going and keep going. I mean, we've done that without a hit, but I'm just saying that, it's always inspiring to to hear something like that, to know that there are unique ways and original ways of having a music career, even if it's not the standard way of having that. That's really cool that they do the, the thing, like you said, that having the big concert in Mexico where their fans all come together and, and come see them play and have a good time. I think that's that's really, really awesome. And to know that they were ahead of the curve on that, because that has become more of a thing that is what what people do in in the time of everything from patreon to uh mm-hmm. you, you know the internet and and having followings on in different ways you know and uh so that's really cool man i'm glad to hear that because i've read here because i did read here a sort of bad thing we we got to get into it but you have to say the bad thing you can't say i read a bad thing and then not say the bad thing yeah apparently the lead guitarist at one point sold the publishing rights to the band's back catalog for $2,500, including the King of the Hill theme song. This is true? Yeah, yeah. We we get into that in the documentary. And they've... So the guitar player on this album, who was one of my heroes as a guitar player, like, it's such a guitar-driven record. And, you know, he's not, like, the most shredding metal guitar player, but everything he plays has, like, that point of view, and it's very melodic and very almost you know, lyrical melodies that 
you can sing the guitar parts, you know? I was like one of those kids that I was into ska and I was into rock and I would sing the horn parts in the ska songs and I would sing the guitar parts in the, the refreshment songs. He was a great guitar player, but he had a real rough time uh, with drugs and he got really into pain pills around the time of their first hit and you know took him down a dark path and that's what ended up separating him from the band and he was he was in a bad place he tells some stories in the documentary about like breaking into their trailer and stealing all their gear and selling it and all this stuff just to buy more pills he was taking a ton of vicodin every day and so at one point not at the rock bottom phase but during that time period he did need the money and sold the rights to the songs back to the other guys in the band, which has helped them continue, you know, on their independent journey because they get those King of the Hill royalty checks. Uh, but probably, you know, in hindsight, that wasn't a good deal. But, you know, if you feel like you need $2,500, you feel like you need $2,500. We, we have to mention this real, real quick, uh, a little aside. What is the name of the documentary you did and where can people watch it? <laughs> it's called Here's to Life, the story of the refreshments. Uh, the title comes from one of their other great songs, Mekong. And it's you can rent it on uh, Amazon Prime and Vimeo. And then I think they're still selling the DVDs over at RogerKleinandThePeacemakers.com. Nice, nice. And you've got, I mean, while we're talking about that documentary, uh, <laughs> right. if you wanted to stream a documentary of yours... You're on Netflix now, dude. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I made the big time. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, for indie film, it is, it yeah, is the big time. congratulations, man. Thank you. Yeah, man. as of now, you can watch uh, my newest movie, The Last Blockbuster, on Netflix, ironically enough. It's, it's about Blockbuster Video and how they had the chance to buy Netflix and didn't. And then years later, my how the turntables have. <laughs> nice. Hey, hey, we got to talk about Pick It Up, too. One more one more that people have to check out. I love Pick It Up, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I uh, just kind of got into your podcast through the Save Ferris episode with my buddy Eric. I heard you guys name drop my podcast or my movie, and I will listen to any podcast that talks about me. <laughs> you know. Uh, I'm- uh, hey, what did you? Uh, we'll, we'll give you a chance to respond. What did you think of our analysis of Save Ferris? I know that I was a little, I was a little harsh on Save Ferris. I will admit, I as understand. a ska fan, I understand, and they probably get the most shit of any '90s ska band from the ska community and from the punk community and from everybody. But I will say that the guys from Save Ferris, so Save Ferris split, you know, as you guys talked about, and there's the Monique save ferris that's playing now and then there's all the rest of the guys who are still tight and play and the guys from save ferris were the first people really to sign on and be like yeah we'll be in your documentary and we'll help you with our contacts and do all that so save ferris is big for me personally now musically they're not my favorite ska band but i like them Um, but also you know monique was super kind to us when we were making the movie too so it's hard for me to pick a side or have any bad blood but I understand why people are cranky with Save Ferris and why people, <laughs> you know, why that record may or may not hold up as well as a Boston's record. Right, right. All right. Yeah, Retro- retrospectively, they're thunder, though, because they helped you out. <laughs> In my mind, yeah. yeah. In my yeah, mind. Yeah, I mean, I, sometimes I look back, you know, I look at this this podcast, I'm just coming at it from an honest perspective yeah. like i think having <laughs> strong opinions about music is fun yeah totally yeah anyway back to the refreshments i mean 
I did feel a little bit of pressure coming into this one, knowing that you did a documentary about the refreshments is like, I'm going to try really hard to like the refreshments just because I know that I'm probably talking to one of the refreshments biggest fans. If I'm being completely honest, I dug in and I do like banditos. I do like the King of the Hill song. The rest of it, I was, I could take it or leave it. Honestly, it's a little, little wacky, pretty straightforward. I did for the most part, like them okay <laughs> it's better than disliking for the most part yeah yeah i mean i don't know that i'm gonna i don't know that i'm personally see taylor you, you came into it from liking them from when it came out oh yeah you know and there's so, a lot of nostalgia baked in yeah with that anything you know you need to have that so that what this came out in 96 you do you, do you have 25 years of nostalgia attached to this of yeah. course you do. Yeah. I, I have one. I have one day of experience with the rest of this band's catalog. Right. From what I heard, I was like, "Oh, this is all right." <laughs> so you know, maybe I, I need to spend a little more so time. I would with also them. argue, though, like you're saying, like they're kind of goofy, they're kind of weird. But like when I look at the lyrics to Banditos, and it it helps that the melodies in this are so catchy, and like there's like four different melody lines playing at different parts in this song, which is really cool. But like. I remember, I, I forget what it was about, but I was hearing someone say, like, about something, yeah, it's stupid, but it takes a really smart person to be that stupid. <laughs> and, and like, I think that, like, there are points in this lyric, in the lyrics in this song where it's like, you know what? Like, yeah, it's a goofy-ass song, but, like, no one else got there. <laughs> like, no one else got to, like, right. to put the sugar in the tank of the shit. Like, there's these great lyrics that I can hear. Like when you said that people were there singing along, it's mm -hmm. like, I never would have really thought about this as a sing along song from start to finish, but it kind of is like, once you know the lyrics, you're not just jumping in on the chorus. You're like right there. Word for word. Yeah. I think that that line, that lyric, that first of all, I love the melody of the, the main line uh, of the chorus and that lyric regardless of me knowing we had this episode coming up or even thinking of this as a one hit wonder, I swear to you, especially now more than ever, it's just stupid people everywhere. Like everything I see on TV, it's just stupid people. Mm -hmm. My, you know, my girlfriend and I have been watching 90 day fiance. So I just oh, have man. that. I just have, I just have that line in my head all the time of, you know, everybody knows that the world is full of stupid people. That's just yeah. in my head all the time. So I got to give them credit for that, that like yeah. it comes off as a silly line, but it's like also at the same time, kind of profound. It's, yeah. it's pretty true. And I do like not taking yourself and your lyrics and whatever it is so seriously. I don't mean to assume that these guys do, but I, I get that sense from their music that they don't necessarily take themselves so seriously. And I love that. The, the, yeah. the Beatles didn't take themselves so seriously, you know? Right. So the line, I think obviously the most iconic part of the song, everybody knows the world is full of stupid people. I think it's probably the only reason it was a hit. And it's probably the only reason a lot of people still remember it existing. We did get into it in the doc and there's a funny story behind the line where Roger Klein, who wrote it was at home and he was writing the song just about the bank robbery, right? It was a story song. They go and they rob the bank and blah, 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 blah. And his brother, who was his roommate came in the house, slammed the door and just yelled, the world is full of stupid people. Cause he had just been in a car accident and he blamed the other driver and the other driver blamed him. 
And then Roger was like, yeah, I bet the other driver thinks that about you too. And that's where the spark of like, everybody knows the world is full of stupid people. Meaning everybody thinks they're not one of the stupid people, but the world is full of stupid people. And it's just like that train of thought, like that logic pattern, I think is why the lyrics in most of their songs are so good. It's just like, and it's almost like stand-up comedy, like a unique perspective on everyday stuff that resonates with so many people. Oh, I like that, man. And also, damn, you know, no, but none of the stupid people think they're mm-hmm. one of the stupid people, right? And that kind of is worrying me. Yeah. I, <laughs> oh, no. Wait a well, second. That's like, what's, the, what's the old joke where it's like one out of every three people is an idiot, and if you looked at the person on your left and the person on the right and you don't think that they're an idiot, then what does that say about you type attitude? This is one of the songs where, you know, like you said, that's the line that sticks out to people. I'm pretty sure when I downloaded this song on LimeWire, it was listed as stupid people yep. by the refreshments. Like, it might have been listed as stupid people by Counting Crows or something. You remember how the internet worked. (laughs) The other big line that hooks with people is the Jean-Luc Picard reference, because at the time, you know, not everybody was throwing pop culture references in their songs. I know for a fact, another fun documentary fact, that is Alice Cooper's favorite line. And he loves, he heard it on the radio and was like, what is this band? And they're from the same town. So he probably heard it on the radio before other people, but he's a huge proponent of, of theirs. And he was in the documentary and, that was cool. He seems, just in general, Alice Cooper, every time I've seen any interview with him, I've watched the documentary about his manager from a couple of years ago. Like, that dude just seems like the nicest human being that you could ever meet. Yeah, he just is his character from Wayne's World. You know? That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I've, liked him, I've liked him since that Wayne's World scene. <laughs> anyway, when it comes to the... So, wait, this, this peaked at number 13... Uh, we we talked about what came out at the time. We got to talk about Thunder versus Blunder here on the refreshments, and I think I know where everybody's going <laughs> on this band. Well, actually, I know where Taylor's going. Taylor, yeah. do we even need to ask you? This is Thunder all the way for Taylor. Thunder we don't all even the need way. To ask. He did a freaking documentary about this band. Twenty five so years worth thunder. of Thunder. Yeah, Matt Thunder as well. I love this song. Right, and I yeah. love this band. Down Together is a great song, too. I'm going to stand by that. I'll go Thunder on this band. This can be a, a unanimous Thunder from us. Nice. And uh, before we go, man, one more time, Taylor. Congratulations, man. Everybody should go watch The Lack. The Lack. <laughs> go watch The Lack. Go watch The Last <laughs> Blockbuster on freaking Netflix, Netflix, man, the big time. That yeah. is the big time. That's exciting. That's exciting. And if you like ska music, you know. I got one of those movies, too. Hey, thanks a lot for coming on and talking banditas with us, man. I don't think you're one of the stupid people, Taylor. I don't think you are either, but somehow the world is full of them. There's only one of us left, then. No, no. (laughs) No. Story checks out. (laughs) Yeah. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Ophelios of the band's Punchline Pack and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing 70 off the Punchline album, Delightfully Pleased. Visit punchline.com for music and merch. Make sure to watch this week's guest's documentary, The Last Blockbuster, on Netflix now. If you have any interest in podcasting, visit weknowpodcasting.com for how Matt and Chris can make your show sound as professional as possible. And let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. 
and tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. listening to the Geekscape Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!